Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I have a treat for you today. My good friend Michelle Woodward is back with us for her monthly uh, show that she comes and contributes to. And thanks so much. I know you guys have been loving her and I've gotten so many great emails and the iTunes reviews where you guys give her a big shout out has been wonderful. So we really enjoy having her both. You guys do, I do, and I know Michelle loves being a part of the show every month. Today we're going to be talking about being invited as opposed to the anxious hustle. Are you intrigued? And can't wait for you to hear this conversation between the two of us. And I will circle back afterwards. Michelle Woodward, so happy to be talking to you today. Welcome back. Oh, you know, every time it's just my pleasure. So thank you for keep asking me. Yes. And, you know, the listeners love it. I have some people who, and this is not a diss to my other guests, but who will say they specifically look for the shows that you're on because they can't get enough of you. So thank you so much. They can send me money anytime they want. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about being invited as opposed to the anxious hustle. I think this is such an important thing. You know, it it really came to me when I was working with somebody who had this idea that, you know, work is hard and you have to fight and scratch. And especially when you have your own business, it's really, really hard. And, And I just thought of like, what would be the opposite of that? And the opposite of, you know, kind of that anxious hustle is being invited. And so I sat down with myself because I'm very friendly with myself. And I, I sat down and I wrote about it in my journal to just sort of get my own thoughts around being invited uh, together. Can you read it? Yes. And before I read it, I just want to note that I, I write in the present tense kind of in the way you're an athlete and you work with so many athletes, kind of in the way an athlete um, does a mental rehearsal sometimes of the, you know, the course they're going to ski, the the race they're going to run or swim, uh, the golf hole they're going to play. They run a mental rehearsal. So what I found is that writing in the, um, in the present tense is kind of like using that visualization tool So we can talk about that later. So this is what I wrote. I'm invited to the right things. Without stressful effort on my part, I am asked. By showing up, standing up, having an opinion, being reliable, being open, being myself, I'm doing all that's required to bring joy, purpose, flow, and reward to my life. I am invited. Let me hear the invitations with clear ears and an open heart and understanding. Discernment will guide me towards the invitations which enrich me, grow me, allow me. I am invited to the right wonderful things. Michelle, so you sent me a copy of this yesterday. Can I include that in the podcast page in the show notes? Sure, just put a little... 
note because it doesn't have my name anywhere on it. But yeah, just that'd be great. Yeah, I'll I'll make sure that it's attributed to you because it's it's a picture of what you wrote. So I love yeah. that. Um, wow. So I want to talk about this. First off, is this like a daily practice that you do writing in your journal like this? It's a nearly daily practice. How's that? You know, it's <laughs> like, um, because I can look. So I, the, uh, one of your other guests, your sometime guest, uh, Jeanette Ma, sent me this mm-hmm. this journal um, a year ago and uh, a little over but last June. I don't know why she sent it to me. She just, she does that sometimes, just send me something. And funny, it's funny because the cover says, I'm kind of a big deal, which is a little in joke between the two of us. So, so in between the time that she sent it and today, you know, I can look back and, you know, I wrote in it and then I took a break and I wrote in it again and I took a break. So I would say I, I at least write in it probably three days a week. And I use it to kind of work out things that are either coming up with coaching clients or coming up in my own life. Um, and sometimes I just generate prompts for myself and write about that. So, you know, so thank you. Cause so often we hear people say, Oh, well I do it every day and I have this dedicated practice. Right. <laughs> and then the listeners out there are like, okay, great. But in my real life, if I, then it becomes that all or nothing because, Oh, well, see, I missed it. I was great for maybe three weeks and then I missed it. So it's over. And I love right. how, you know, you, when you're sharing it with us, it's, it's like, okay, I do it about three days a week or I do it almost every day where you're not beating yourself up because you're not doing it perfectly. And because of the way I live, um, you know, my, I keep my journal to keep this notebook on my kitchen table with a pen on top of it all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, unless I have guests, it's there all the time. So if I've eaten breakfast and I've read the paper and I have some time, I'll pick it up and I'll write in it. So I'm not trying to write at the end of the day when I'm exhausted because that doesn't work for me. Um, If I'm eating lunch and the book's there, you know, I can pick it up. So I think that, you know, finding those little tactics that make it easy for you to do stuff is, is really the best way. So it's like you have your practice that supports your life instead of making your life fit into some sort of a system. Bingo. That's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And then I want to talk about this kind of writing, like you had talked earlier about how it's like the visualization that we do with athletes. And in that people can understand that I think when they're thinking of athletics, and then there's people who I'm sure aren't athletes that are listeners as well. So I want to talk about this because this can create kind of a I can't say the word because we're on the air, but like a a storm in one's brain of, well, a beep storm. Yes. A beep storm of who am I to think that I'm invited to the right things? Who am I to think that I can be invited to the right things without stressful effort on my part? I must have this anxious hustle. Right. And a lot of times the anxious hustle is what we've been trained or, you know, a parent or a grandparent, uh, an aunt, an uncle, um, college roommate, somebody, you know, has shared that idea with us and it seems real. And so we hold on to it. But what I found is when I write in the present tense, regardless of what I write about, it never fails that the opportunity presents itself fairly shortly after I write it in the present tense. So this writing about being invited, you know, what was crazy is I wrote about being invited and then one of my former clients was helping organize a conference And she gave my name to the conference organizer who contacted me and said, this is the conference. We have all the speakers we need, but I wanted to, you know, reach out to you. And so I 
told her what I did. I didn't didn't sell. I basically said, "Great, I'm, your conference looks awesome. Six hundred professional women, you know, in Washington D.C. are coming to this thing. I'm like, looks awesome. You know, for future reference, here are the things that I can really talk about really well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of listed off four or five things. And the woman came back to me and said, as a matter of fact, somebody just fell off one of the panels. Would you like to join a panel on, you know, this subject? And I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm being invited to the right things because I said I am invited to the right things. And the right things may not only be about work. You know, the right thing may be also my neighbor inviting me over for dinner. It may be an invitation to take a walk. It may be an invitation um, to write something for somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not limiting, you know, this is only about my business, whatever. But it really is this creating this environment for myself when writing this. My thought was I'm creating this open and receiving energy for myself that says, I know the right inv- invitations are here for me. Let me be open to them. Rather than saying the invitation that I receive needs to look this certain way, mm-hmm. right? Like I only go to dinner with people who fit this kind of blah, blah, blah. The answer is no. The answer is really, if you're not an axe murderer, it's all good, <laughs> you know? And I may not know about the axe murdering part. I may have to figure that part out. But. <laughs> or if Corinne comes to town, then you get invited hey. to the right things. Well, then and see, and then what we did, because you did recently come to town. And so we had breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and I hadn't written this yet, but then, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And so we got to spend time with each other the next day. And so to be open to the, even that sort of invitation, which was lovely and wonderful, right? And not being so rigid in life mm-hmm. um, means that there's so much richness out there. So how... For you, it doesn't create this this uh, trigger of you know shame and lack of confidence. Like for you, you're writing this, and it sounds like you're really rooted in compassion and confidence for yourself. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's totally the case. I mean, I, um, I I I it's not out of any kind of grasping that I said I'm or or uh, well, let me back that up. It's not because I feel like I'm not being invited. But it's that I just really wanted to reinforce for myself that things can be easy. (laughs) You know, there can be a graceful ease in your life and wonderful things can happen. You know, the other morning, I think it was uh, the other morning, whatever day it was, um, uh, you've been to my house, but on my back, I have a deck, Mm -hmm. a lower deck, and my dogs were out running around in the grass and it was like 830 in the morning and I was staying there in my pajamas and I could hear the the traffic go by because I'm very close to the GW Parkway, which is a main traffic artery into Washington, D.C. And I could hear the traffic sort of going by like the roar of the ocean. And I'm standing there in my pajamas. And my thought was, wow, I don't have to have a commute. Mm. Right. And then I thought, wow, who would have ever thought I could make this much money and not have to have a commute? Mm-hmm. And then I started to laugh at myself because it was very clear to me that I still had an idea that if to make any kind of money at all, you have to have a gnarly commute into an office that you don't like mm-hmm. with a bunch of hoo-hahs that you have to talk about Grey's Anatomy with or whatever, 
And, and I, I thought to myself, after all the work I've done, I still am uncovering these little thoughts like to really do anything significant. You have to be on the GW Parkway at 8.30 in the morning going into the office mm-hmm. or, or earlier. I thought that was really kind of a fascinating awareness. Yeah, and traffic where you live, from what I learned, is crazy. It's brutal. <laughs> it really is brutal. It's a hard life. If you have to do the traffic thing, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because yesterday I had a new client um, sign up with me and he asked me a question. He said, well, do you have an office, you know, outside of the home? And I said, oh, no. And this was very deliberately planned this way. You know, this I'm living my dream. This is so perfect for me. And for some people, they do want to have an office to go to. But on the contrary, I love being able to work. I have an office inside of my home and it's the best commute ever. I mean, I think I used to joke that my commute is nine steps, you know, but I think it's actually more like 12 or 15. But, you know, but what I love is, you know, where I live, not where you live, but where I live, you know, this year we had 30 inches of snow fall in 20 out, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And I, my power stayed on and uh, I could do my clients, whereas people around and organizations around town were completely crippled. You know, my work could continue to be done. And um, and so that's, you know, so again, creating that. And you can do the same thing if you work in an office. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can do the same thing in terms of creating the parameters that work for you. And instead of saying like, you know, oh, someday it would be really great to be able to work from home on Friday. You know, what about thinking, I work at home on Friday. I'm going to feel what that feels like. I'm going to I'm going to think about how productive I'm going to be when I work at home on Fridays. And then by the by experiencing it in advance, when you go to talk to your supervisor, boss, or whomever who has to approve it, you own it so much. Just like an athlete who's saying, you know, on the fifth hole, you know, my tee shot's going to go here. My second shot's going to go on the green and I'm going to one putt for a birdie. You've already experienced it. So you can go to that meeting with confidence instead of with fear, you know, the confidence that I can make this work. Friday's at working at home. It's going to be awesome for both of us. That's what I think the beauty of writing in the present tense, thinking things through ahead of time, visualizing them, um, being positive. uh, It makes all the difference. It gives you the confidence, I think, that you need. You know, like light bulbs are just going off because – This is so okay. There's the mental aspect of athletics. But then the other side is that as an athlete, we practice day in and day out over and over. Like, and you know, one of the things I'll make fun of our sport is I don't even know how many laps we swim. We swim five to 6,000 yards probably in a, in a practice and, you know, race maybe 50 yards, a hundred yards, 200 yards, but we're constantly practicing over and over for this race. And so what you're doing is you're taking the written word, right? Because I'm thinking about some of the where this there can be skepticism, like you're just going to write about what you're going to do, like or what you are doing in the present tense. But that's what we do in athletics, right? So if you're in the batting cages, you're hitting the ball and you're hitting the ball and you're hitting so that you're creating those neural pathways in your brain and you're creating that mind body connection so that you can time the ball. Same thing in swimming and other sports, you continue to do that. And that's what it is in this written page is you are 
practicing that so that when you do go in to ask, you know, for what you want or have a courageous conversation at work, you've already practiced it. You're not coming and going, oh, oh well, I, I would like to work on Fridays, but I, I, you know, I understand it could be really difficult for the company. And Right. If it's not a problem for you, um, maybe we could maybe talk about maybe if I could possibly kind of maybe work on home on Friday mm-hmm. sometimes. You know, that's not very confident. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing about, you know, writing about this particular thing of being invited, you know, writing about being invited is such a, it's not like, you know, I'm writing about, I'm going to get a promotion, you know, I'm being promoted, right? Which you could certainly do. But there's something about saying, I am invited to the right things. I am open to those invitations. And I, I discern which ones are the ones that are going to be right for me. Boom, boom, boom. You know, it's like then when somebody does invite me in the in the time frame that I wrote that, I'm able to practice that discernment mm-hmm. and practice saying yes and or saying no. And I think, you know, this invitation, I think it goes to the thing that you and I have talked about a million times, but the difference between lack and abundance. Mm-hmm. I am being invited is also walking deeply into abundance. Yes. Which is all we want. I mean, well, and it's it's also trust. Yes. Right? It's it's trusting that the right things are going to come, that that there are good things. You don't have to be in that scarcity, right? And that's what you're talking about, the abundance. Because if I'm invited to the, if I have to make things happen, I have to have that anxious hustle, then you're right. in that scarcity and you you can't see that there can be possibilities. It's like, oh, if I don't hang on to this, I'm going to lose it and then there's going to be nothing. Right. I was working with somebody earlier this week who wanted who wants to offer um, a service to physicians. And... um I picked up that the client was very angry. Uh, This client was very angry because all the doctors hadn't responded. Mm -hmm. And it was very much this anxious hustle, this anxious striving, um, you know, and doctors are jerks and, you know, none of them are responding, blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, I'd already written this invitation thing. And so I asked the client to sort of think about what would it be like to be invited by the doctor's offices? Mm -hmm. invite the doctors to work with her Mm -hmm. you know instead of like i gotta i gotta woo them i gotta win them over i gotta be like a caveman and grab them by the throat and hit them with a club so they'll work with me right that that feeling like i have to bamboozle people into working with me (laughs) oh Man, I mean, you know, like I, I that like feeds the imposter syndrome. It mm-hmm. feeds your underlying lack of confidence. Instead of saying, I'm going to make an invitation. Now, not everybody, whenever you have a party or anything, not everybody you invite says yes. And we aren't all hamstrung about it. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, right. Her daughter's getting married. <laughs> they can't come. Right. Mm-hmm. It is no big. Mm-hmm. Same thing with inviting people to work with you, inviting, you know, welcoming the invitations that people make to you to work with them, it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful kind of balance. Well, don't you think that you can't measure your worth on that, right? Like with when you're able to let yourself be open to invitations, you can't, you're not, you're not determining your worth by the outcome. 
Yes, that's true. Versus, I had never thought of that, but that's absolutely true. Versus the person you're talking about who had made this invitation, but then it was like, well, they're not responding, which can then trigger maybe their own worth. Yeah. Right. And then it triggers that, am what is what I'm offering that at all valuable? You know, am I, am I big or am I small? Um, all those sorts of fears and, you know, deep-seated issues that people have. You know, it's so interesting because in some er- areas of my life where I'm totally clean, like getting kids to go to soul meet, like I'm fascinated. I'm totally willing to put myself out there talking to parents about it and, um, and, and seeing their resistance. But there's, there, my worth is not at all tied to it, right? Like, cause I'm like, this is, I, I just get fascinated that people don't want to do it. Cause I'm like, well, this is a great opportunity for your kid to get better and to practice and to get connected into this amazing community that we have. And you're also, if, if your number one goal is to get better in swimming, swim meets are a great way because now all of a sudden we trigger another la- layer of engagement with your child, right? And so it's interesting when I'm doing that versus maybe some other aspects. And there have been times like, you know, we have this huge Christmas Eve party and I can get that old voice of, ooh, who's really going to come? Is anybody going to come and have that fear? Which is ridiculous because it's a huge old party. Um, but, and it's just, not, it's, interesting to uncover the voices in the back of my head of what comes up and then really going like, let go. Whoever comes in the door, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun to spend time with them. And it always is every year. I mean, we've been doing it, I don't know, for 14 years or so, 15 years. But so it's interesting where, where, when I may have these old voices, right? Like that fifth grade girl voice, that would be my Christmas party and Mm. other areas where I have none of those voices and I just can show up and be me and I'm not at all attached to the outcome and how much better that is for me and the people around me. What you're modeling with the swim team too is the growth mindset because, you know, a lot of times people resist because, well, what if my kid, you know, comes in last? What if my kid, you know, uh, you know, faults and falls in the pool three times and, you know, is disqualified. And, you know, there's like all those fears, but you're coming at it from a growth mindset, Mm -hmm. which we talk about so often too. And I think that's the difficult, that's the different thing is when I have a growth mindset and I make an invitation and somebody doesn't accept my invitation or somebody doesn't invite me. I'm just saying you've had a Christmas party for 14 years and never once have I gotten an invitation. I'm just <laughs> putting that on the record. Not that I could drive over, but anyway. But my point is, is that I can I can have a growth mindset and say, made the invitation. Max said no. Good to know. Uh-huh. Instead of it's like, oh my gosh, she doesn't really like me. I'm probably going to lose that contract. You know, I'm a big loser. I'm going to be in a van down by the river, you know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Instead, I could say, oh, it doesn't work for Max. Uh-huh. You know, I wrote this thing on Facebook the other day. I don't know if you saw it about the jumper cables. Did you see this? I was working with a client and the client was talking about asking for help and how hard it was to ask for help. Uh-huh. And um, and I was thinking about like in the moment in the coaching session, I said, well, you know, it's kind of like jumper cables. And it's just like, I'm, there was a pause. I'm sure this person's not like a gearhead knows what jumper cables were. But anyway, I said, you know, if you're in the parking lot and somebody walks up to you and says, excuse me, do you have any jumper cables? And you say, no, I'm sorry, I don't. They say, okay, well, thanks. And they walk on. 
And you go right into the store and you do whatever you're going to do. And you don't say, oh, my gosh, I completely failed that person because I don't (laughs) carry jumper cables. And you also don't say, no, I don't have any jumper cables, but let me walk over. I'll drive over to the um, hardware store and get you some and come right back. You know, and you also don't say, you know, you don't feel guilty that you no longer drive, you know, the 1976 Ford Pinto that you had to have jumper cables in the back because it wouldn't keep going. Mm-hmm. You just say, hey, no, I, I'm sorry, I don't have jumper cables. Right? And mm-hmm. that's the other thing about invitation is that when you make an invitation and somebody says no, it's almost like you ask them, do you have jumper cables? And they say, no, man, I don't. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okie doke. Right? And, of course, if someone asks you, do you have jumper cables? In that moment, you can decide whether you, if you have them, do I have the time to jump this person's car? You know, is this something, does this feel safe, right? Mm-hmm. And if it, if you have the jumper cables and you still don't want to jump their car, you can say, no, man, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. It's no big deal. You know, one of my favorite sayings, and I came up with this probably during this whole, this whole Christmas party some years ago, but it's one of my favorite sayings is that this is an invitation. It's not an obligation. And one is that it's a reminder to me to let go, right? Because I don't want people, whether to hire me as their coach, to listen to my show, to come to parties or anything out of obligation. That's just not fun energy to work with, right? Come to swimming out of obligation. But I want it to be an invitation where they get to choose, does this work for me? And that has always been a great thing for my brain instead of going when I can go into that scarcity of, wait, it's an invitation. It's not an obligation. They know what works best for them. And it's not a personal thing to me. Does that make sense? Yes. And, you know, it it makes me think of something that I've said before. You know, uh, Thoreau had the famous quote, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. It's a famous, you know, it's uh-huh. his famous quote. And I've always said the mass of women lead lives of quiet obligation. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it seems like um, women more so than men, not all men, but many men, you know, when they ask for three dozen gluten-free vegan cupcakes for the kindergarten pageant tomorrow, we feel obligated to do it. Mm-hmm. Even if our kid's in fifth grade, we feel obligated to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that women women really take on as an obligation. I mean, we used to go on family vacations and, and, you know, we'd stay in a condo rather because, you know, with little kids, as you know, you could have stuff in the fridge. Well, it turned out that our vacations turned out to just be a change of venue for me because mm-hmm. I was still doing laundry and I was still cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, maybe we might go out to dinner. I was still making sure kids got snacks and naps. It was, it was a change of venue and it was not a vacation. It was an obligation. And that didn't feel great. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really wonderful to feel, to free people from that sense of being obligated and instead substitute it for that joyful invitation and a joyful res- receiving of of somebody's, you know, demurral, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. That's that's fine. That you don't have jumper cables. That is totally fine. I will ask somebody who does, mm-hmm. right? Or I will buy my own jumper cables mm-hmm. and keep them in the trunk. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just like there's a gracious ease that comes when you can get out of all that 
mess that goes along with it, all the obligation, all the story, all that stuff. Well, that's the thing is that story, because I think about when my kids were in elementary school and, you know, there's this whole ramp up for joining the PTA. And I really had to think about because I do believe in being a contributor and I do believe in service. And then I thought about, okay, knowing me and my skill set, PTA is not a good place for me. It's not a good place for my community. It's not a good place for me. And so how can I, with the tools that I have, help out? And what do the teachers need? And so the teachers needed help in the computer lab, one of my daughter's teachers. And she had her from, I think, first kindergarten through fourth, third grade. So for a number of years. And so I was like, oh, this is great. I can deal with high energy kids and being in the computer lab. I feel comfortable. This is where I can make my impact. And then as my kids got older and there was less in the classroom, then I looked at more district level stuff that I could be a part of because that, again, fit within there. The old me would take on, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I would just be angry and upset. And eventually I would like blow, right? I would be that martyr. And that was never very effective. So I've had to really learn um, by taking small steps throughout my life of, okay, when I do stuff under obligation, it does. it's not a good, it may look good in the beginning, but in the end, it's not very good. And I need to realize that. And, you know, the, and it just to, you know, uh, one of the coaching tactics is to set list out everything that you're tolerating, you know, everything that you're kind of putting up with, mm-hmm. and then go through it and say, you know, how could I change this? How could I change the thing that I'm just tolerating that I'm just putting up with? It would be great to have people list out, what do I feel obliged to do? And, you know, let's say you feel really obligated to visit your mother who's in the nursing home, you know, a couple times a week. I completely get that. But what if you shifted it from the idea of it being an obligation to be something that you looked forward to, something that was as part of your integrity, um, part of being of service in the world, mm-hmm. rather than sort of, oh, my gosh, I just have to do this. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's what's expected of me. You know, I have an obligation. She's my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it sometimes it's those little shifts of our, of our mindset or our approach or the story we're telling ourselves. You know, every good daughter goes to the nursing home. The truth is that's not true. Mm-hmm. There are people who are really great children, but they live 3,000 miles away and they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, they have some other fact of their life that's going on that, uh, that prevents them from doing it. That doesn't mean they're not a good child. I had a client when, when she first came to me, one of the big areas to work on was that whole mother-daughter relationship. And she was a client in her 50s. And um, and her mom was always like in the scarcity and always wanting and needing. And it's interesting because my client's so fascinated now that she actually has bettered it where she can have good boundaries with her mom, but she chooses to be with her mom and to spend time, which is so different than having that obligation energy that she used to bring to that relationship where she would do these things because she felt like this is what a good daughter is supposed to do. And now she can say, hey, I want to go and spend some time with my mom or I want to give my mom a call and check in with her, right? And it's so freeing to go that way. Right. And the opposite is also true. To be honest with yourself and say, I really don't feel like going over there today. Mm -hmm. Well, that was part of it. She had to give herself that permission. Right. Right. That she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to be this daughter that looked like stuff. And just recently, um, she has told 
her siblings, I think it was like Christmas time, she told her siblings that next holiday that her and her husband were going to be gone. And so um, they weren't going to be a bit because, you know, they would always put on the festivities for her mother and they were not going to be able to do that. So she gave them a year to let them know that they weren't going to be there. Right. And, that's great. and she feels really good about it. But that's something that just took her a long time to get to that point. Right. But right. It was like I say, small hinges can move to big doors after you keep making these steps, making these steps. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, hey, this is what we'd like to do. You know, you know, many years ago um, when I was doing the coach training with Martha Beck, uh, you know, she was very involved in Byron Katie's The Work. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was so this was February of 2005. And so Martha did the work on me and my and if, for people who don't know, it's the work. Uh, I think it's the work dot org. Isn't it her link to the page? But yeah. anyway, um, you know, you you ask yourselves, you, you under you figure out a limiting belief and then you walk through a four question process to turn the belief around. Well, the belief that I came up with was I have to be strong or everything will fall apart. I think a lot of people can relate to that sentence, but I have to be strong or everything will fall apart. And when I got to the turnaround, it became this really interesting um, new replacement thought, which is I have to be able to fall apart so other people have the opportunity to be strong. And that was absolutely true, has been true so many times in my life. You know, when you really have reciprocal relationships with people, um, when you are falling apart, they need a way to stand up and help you Mm -hmm. because you may have helped them so many times in your life. So this client of yours who gave her siblings a year, you know, that's a a beautiful way of saying, now it's time for you to be strong. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you can do it. You're, you know, you're smart. You're, you know, this is going to be a wonderful thing and and do that. And so I do think a lot of times, especially, well, both men and women do this, is that we, we think we can't ask for help. We think we have to be strong. We think we have to make everything happen um, or the world is going to fall apart. And the truth is, if you back off, a lot of times it allows other people to stand up and and contribute in a way that they hadn't been able to before, it allows them to take their performance to a new level. Have you ever observed that? Absolutely. I mean, that happens parenting, right? When you back off and you let your kids kind of fumble and then see how they can set themselves up. I've seen it um, with, in so many different places. Yes. Yes. Where, where you can step aside and let the other person flourish. Right. Yeah. Um, so with the, I want to go back to this lack in abundance and this idea of the anxious hustle, right? Why do we think that we, the only way we can get what we want is through an anxious hustle? You know, I wonder if it goes back to childhood. Is, is that like to Dr. Freud of the whole thing? But I think, you know, I don't know about your childhood home but you know I've seen I see it with saw it with my own kids is you ask once you ask five times you ask ten times and maybe they'll relent and give in mm-hmm. right and so the the kind of the graceful ease of being able to really clearly say this is what I need this is what I want this is what it's going to look like and get somebody to agree with you I think people think that's really hard 
you know, that it's really, it's that, that it's, that people won't meet you openly and fairly. Mm-hmm. And so you may, like buying a car. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like anything where you have to, buying a rug, buying, you know, anything where you have to negotiate or you have to meet somebody and kind of develop a shared understanding. One, people aren't trained in that often. And, um, and so when you're not trained, your muscles aren't strong and you don't know how to do it. And it's been hard in the past. Um, a lot of people don't feel very powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why performance reviews, asking for raises, that sort of thing is so hard for people. Because we, ha- we haven't had a lot of experience and the experience we've had has not always been positive. Why don't people feel powerful? I think maybe for my kids, it's all that time I locked them in the closet is what I'm thinking. <laughs> it might have been, you know. I don't know. I mean, I think because we don't know how to operate in the world. So yesterday, I don't know what possessed me, but on Facebook, I wrote a status update, which was, I'm not perfect. I am pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And there's like 200 likes on that thing. And one friend of mine from middle school wrote on there, and you're very modest, right? And I thought that was really funny because that's the thing. Like how many people can say, I am so awesome. And you don't think, oh, my God, what an arrogant somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, what a like that person's big for their britches. But really my, my intention behind posting that was that other people might say, wow, I can think that too. Mm-hmm. I'm not perfect, but I am pretty awesome. And actually, I wrote on that guy's comment, my my friend that commented, I wrote, you know, actually, I'm modeling, saying something that's really hard for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I don't think we have a lot of models. We certainly have a lot of models for narcissistic, uh, <laughs> egocentric, overweening personalities in life. And but we don't have a lot. We have a lot of models of people who are too self-deprecating. You know, I really like your hair. Oh, you know. I don't know why it, I haven't washed it, right, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So I think it would be really great for all of us to start modeling that positive self-regard, not overwhelming self-regard, but just positive self-regard. What do you think? So I think this, and this goes back to like what we were talking about earlier about you and your journaling practice, right? It's not all or nothing, black and white. And I think so often culturally we struggle it's either all or nothing right i must be perfect and i think what happens is because this has been a big topic with my clients recently of you know either i'm going to be self-deprecating or i'm arrogant right those two extremes instead of like why not be in that state of where you are confident where you can own your strengths and realizing that you know you don't have to be perfect to be amazing you know, that is something that most people think, oh, once I'm perfect, I'll be amazing, right? Because that's the whole hustle for worthiness. Let me just get to perfection, which most people don't realize is perfection is the birthplace of shame. So this, this, this in between, and I love how that you go about it like modeling because you're right, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen that. We've seen a lot of people trying to be humble and maybe be more self-deprecating or being on this other side where it could be narcissistic, right? Which we can see via social media and stuff. And, um, but where you can just be like, okay, this is, this is my strength. And I think women, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I think with women, it's harder for them to own their strengths than for men. 
Well, because I think there's still a penalty for women in the world to uh, claim success, uh, to to claim self-legitimacy, um, to claim uh, self-satisfaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I do think that even though it's 2016, there are still a lot of people who feel, you know, a woman on her own. Um, there's something in, in inorn- inordinately gap-like in that, you know, and so, and you even look with the current presidential race, you know, we, we have a woman in the race for the first time in my lifetime, and I think in the history of the country, who's a finalist. I mean, certainly I worked for Elizabeth Dole. Elizabeth Dole was a candidate for president. Pat Schroeder was a candidate for president. Beverly, I mean, um, Shirley Chisholm uh, was a, a candidate for president, but none of them made it as of as far as Secretary Clinton has made it, and whether you support her or don't support her is not the the issue. But when you look at the the vitriol that's aimed towards her, which I think is a lot of it is because of her gender, mm-hmm. um, then I think that models for a lot of women that it is really, really, really hard to show up in the world as a successful, balanced, grounded, authentic woman, mm-hmm. powerful woman. I mean, Oprah does it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But like, really think about, you could probably name 20 men and we can name Oprah, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, so why not stand up? And Because I feel like, especially like in social media or in my writing, if I can stand up and some 25-year-old woman says, wow, maybe I can stand up a little bit too, is that we create this funnel of people who are suddenly able, men and women, who are able to see success and not see gender. You know, see power and not see gender. Just see power and just see um, comfortable in one's own skin and, and see success. And not qualify, well, you know, she's a very successful woman. Mm-hmm. He's a very successful gay man. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. Without those qualifiers, that's a successful human being. Mm-hmm. Yippee-ki-yay. Mm-hmm. That was me on my soapbox. Just there. <laughs> oh, just be on that soapbox. I love <laughs> yeah, you there. Well, but I do think, you know, I think things have changed so much um, since I was a kid in terms of, you know, what what men and women are able to do and be. Um, and I think it's a, a wonderful time to be alive because the opportunities have never been greater for people to be fully themselves and be in the world. Now, okay, so here's where my brain goes, but it's also a time where you can be really vulnerable because there's a lot of opportunities, whether it's through social media, you know, anonymous online platforms, where there can be ways to try to take you down. That, that you have public access to. Yeah. And, and so I think one of the things is that knowing that, that, you know, like Scott Scratton says, you can't win over the haters. You're not the jackass whisperer. Right. And then I think that becomes really important to realize that when you own who you are and become more of who you are, not everybody's going to like you. And that's okay. And some people may not be comfortable with it. Like the other day I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, have, you know, did you hear that? Tony got married. I'm like, no. And she said, yeah, his husband's really great, you know, blah, 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 blah. And 
five years ago, we probably wouldn't have said that, mm-hmm. you know, but definitely not in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And to me, the, 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 the small hinges, little hinges can move big doors. You know, we really are in a time where it's possible just on a day to day level, going to the grocery store for, um, any couple to go to the grocery store together. Mm-hmm. That to me is like a big deal. You know, like anybody can go adopt a puppy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I mean, while we focus on what's not working in the world, it's also kind of really refreshing and reassuring to look at what is working. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is more and more possible for us all to be comfortable in our own skin in a public way. Yeah, I think getting to that point of being comfortable in your own skin, when you were talking earlier about, you know, um, you know, when we we're talking about why people don't feel powerful, one of uh, my husband's former athletes, he's, I don't know, he's like 42 now, but when he was an athlete, you know, and one of the things that my husband's always said is that this guy really loved himself. And it's not a bad thing. Like he just really loved himself. He really believed himself and he was willing to do the hard work where he really maximized you know, his potential. And, and then now as a professional, like he just really loves himself. And I think there's nothing wrong with that, but there was the stigma of, Oh, don't love yourself too much. Don't be full of yourself. But where you can have this inner confidence of like, why not love who you are? And then when you are loving yourself, how do you show up in the world? Right. And I think the part of it is, is talking to yourself as you would talk to your closest loved one. Yeah. Like if I wouldn't say it to my, if I wouldn't say something to my children, why in the world would I say it it to me? If I wouldn't say to my son, you are such a big freaking loser, Mm -hmm. then why in the world would I say it to myself? You know, and I, and as you know, I'm a single woman. And so, you know, if I want to go to dinner in the movies and there's nobody that I can find to go with, I go by myself. Mm -hmm. I treat myself as if I was out with my best friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't talk to myself and then get up and sit in the other chair and answer myself because that would be like weird. But I do, I do really make time. If I want to go see a art exhibit or if I want to go to the farmer's market or I want to do whatever I do, I'm not waiting for somebody else to go with. I am going and I'm going to go with myself because I treat myself as if I'm my best friend. I'm, cook well for myself. I make sure I get sleep. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I take my medication. I go to the doctor. I do all the things that I would do for anybody I love. And I think that's another thing when we think about the obligation piece is that a lot of people feel like I'm so obligated to others, there's no time for me. Mm-hmm. But I have an obligation to myself mm-hmm. because this is, this is who I am. This is how I get to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is really good, and um, and we're going to end on that. But remember, for those out there, really re-listen to that. Like you have an obligation to yourself, and how to take care of yourself instead of trying to fit in your time into other people's stuff. So, right on, Michelle. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. This is always a delight today, especially so. Well, thank you. This is I love talking with you. The listeners love it, so this is a great opportunity for us all. So, thank you so much. All right. So what did you think about that? What did you think about rehearsing in what you want? 
by writing it down and writing things in the present moment. I can't wait for you guys to experiment this, test it out, and send me an email. I'm going to be playing with this. I've done this before, and um, but I'm going to go back and play with this some more. And again, with the constraint that it doesn't have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be every day, but to create a system that supports me versus creating a system that I have to fit myself into. And that becomes so important, right? Create systems that support you instead of making you fit into systems. And that goes back to kind of the theme of the show and this theme of my body of work that I do. It's about you being the leader in your life. And that's so important. And, you know, that's a fancier way to say, you know, you are the boss of you and giving yourself permission, but you being the leader in your life. So, so important because it has to go through, like, remember, I've talked about the current filters. I will take all this input, but then the current filters. And I want to be leader of my life, not live by somebody else's rules. And really, these last nine and a half years on the show has been about this. So when you're writing, start paying attention to what you're writing. You may want to circle back and reflect on it. Is that what you really want? Or is that what you think you're supposed to want? And sometimes, and this is going to be really difficult for some of you who really want it all right now, it may take months for you to unpack that. And all of a sudden, one day you'll be like, oh my gosh, I don't even really want that. Why am I writing that down? And as you reflect, you'll start to hear the voices in the back of your head. And there'll be rules. There'll be prerequisites. And maybe you wanted it because those were your rules that were programmed into you about how you would finally be worthy. So I just invite you to be compassionate with yourself so that these thoughts and this awareness can come out and come above and come to surface, right? Instead of when we judge, we push these things down. But I love the things that Michelle talked about with, you know, things can be easy or the graceful ease in your life. Oh, those are so fascinating. The graceful ease in your life. How often do you say that? Or you said, oh my gosh, life's so hard. There's so much drama, right? I used to do stuff like that just because it was like a way for me to hustle for my worthiness, right? It was that, or as Michelle says, that anxious hustling. And this idea of being invited to the right things. And don't worry, I will have that copy, that print, uh, that photo that she sent me of her journal. And they'll be in the show notes. So you can take a look at that. There's also going to be in the show notes, the link to the interview I did with Katie or Byron Katie, as you would know her, who Michelle talked about with the work. And, you know, really it comes down to the stories that we tell ourselves and questioning those stories. Like, are they even true? You know, here's the rule for me to be a good mom. I must be doing X, Y, and Z. Well, really? (laughs) What do I think it takes to be a good mom? And really paying attention to that. This anxious hustle, we can all do it. It doesn't mean just because we're aware that we don't. And there's times that's fascinating. I will find myself, you know, I like to use the word approval whoring and I will be selling. And the reason I say that is it's a wake up for me. Like, oh my gosh, Corinne, here you are going you know, wake up. Like that word is so harsh because I'm selling myself out for somebody's approval. And the crazy thing is when I really think about it, I may not even like nor respect this person. It gets a little harder when it's something that I really like and respect. 
And I want them to say, yes, you're amazing, Corinne. I'm like, ooh. And I watch myself be somebody else. The best me doesn't show up. So I want the best of me to show up because one, it costs me less energy to be me than to be somebody else. And two is if they don't like me, wouldn't I rather know that than try to hustle for their approval and not get it anyways and sell myself out? So I give you those insights to think about of being the best of you, being the leader in your life, you know, speaking your truth, aligning with your values and your integrity, you know, building a loving relationship with yourself. And that part is so important. And we had wrapped up the show with that loving yourself. There's nothing wrong with loving you. The problem and where arrogance comes is when we get into comparison, I am better than you. That means I am more worthy than you, right? That's popping up. I may have a faster time than you, not anymore. But when I was a swimmer, that's fact. That's fact. It's math. It's not even math. It's when did your hand get on the wall? But it doesn't mean I'm a better person, right? That superiority thing is still rooted in shame. So, but when you can own like, you know, and I will always say this and maybe it's partly to um, buffer the, the confidence, but like I will say, look, I have strengths and I have flaws. I own all of my story. And before, like, I didn't want to own my story of anything good. I wanted to be mean to myself. And then at the same time, I dimmed my own light. And that wasn't fun because I hid. So, you know, building a loving relationship with yourself, cultivating strong and connected and authentic relationships and doing meaningful work. And the thing about meaningful work, because that can be a shame trigger for some of you, especially if you don't have a W-2 or you don't have a job or you go, well, look at Michelle and Corinne. They're really successful at what they do. Don't compare yourself with us. Bringing in income does not necessarily equate to meaningful work. You can do meaningful work and not get paid. Now you have to look at how that does that work in your life, right? Again, be the leader of your life. That's something you'll have to figure out. There are things that I do that I don't ever get paid for but it's still very, very meaningful. You know, one of the things is this radio show. I don't get paid to do this radio show. It's meaningful work and I own it. This is work that I do. This is my gift to people who've listened to it. It's my contribution to the world. You may not want to do a radio show. Don't think that this is the way to do it because this is what I do. But what is, how can you be of service? You know, what is something that you want to do? Whether it's paid or unpaid, there's not different values. There may be different things that we need to do so that we can support our lifestyles, support our families, take care of ourselves, right? So I'm able to do the show and then I have other ways of generating income for myself and my family and my employees that I have. So I give that to you as an opportunity to become the leader in your life. And I loved how Michelle introduced us to being invited as opposed to the anxious hustle, you know, inviting yourself. And, you know, I invite you, take a look at what she wrote. And if you have to, don't start with a blank piece of paper and beat yourself up because you don't know what to do. Like one of the things I always invite is, you know, take something from somebody else, maybe write that down. And then from there, I, my hunches, the words will start to flow. You know, you can use hers for inspiration, copy it at first, always do attribution, but then the words will start to flow and then they'll become your own. Because that not all of her words are going to resonate with you. And but begin that practice. Cause when we think that we have to create something brand new, that can be really intimidating. 
and staring at a blank canvas versus getting inspired. One of my guests that I really want to have on, but I haven't asked him is uh, Austin Cleon, and he has this book called uh, Steal Like an Artist. And so, you know, that concept that, you know, art is stolen from other people. And, you know, it's, it, but it's never about plagiarizing, which I think we've gotten so beaten over the head in school, especially if you went to grad school, right? That you can't plagiarize and you must have something your own and authentic. But when you add yourself to it, it does become authentic. And again, there's a fine line, right? Don't steal somebody else's work and call it your own. That's really, really important. And then I want to finish up with this idea of, loving yourself. It's so important to love you, to treat yourself the way you would treat a dear friend. Maybe you treat strangers better than yourself. And it's not about judging you for doing that. It's about understanding, oh, I have not been a great friend. I haven't had my own back. I'm going to work on that and practice it. Because when you commit to that, that's when things can evolve, not by beating yourself up, but by committing to that so that you can evolve. So I want to do a big shout out now because you guys have been so amazing by leaving those iTunes reviews and thank you so much. And the other thing is I want you to send me your email with the iTunes review and a photo of you if you'd be interested because I'd love to put you up on my new website that's coming out. I know it's the longest website ever to come out, but it will be up one day. I'm totally convinced of it and my designer is going to do an amazing job. But I want to do a shout out to Heidi Meadow and... Valen WS for leaving iTunes reviews. I have a whole list of other people, but um, your shout out to you guys. So thank you for figuring out. I know it's no easy task. It does help the show. And it's also fun. Like I was able to send Michelle a clip of one that was um, done of her. So it was really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you guys, thanks so much for listening. It's always an honor to serve you. And I'm just humbled that I've been doing the show for nine and a half years. This October will be 10 years and there's over 500 shows. So I just so appreciate it. I was recently doing a bunch of travel and I ran into people, listeners from the show. And it was so fun to, you know, talk to them and meet them face to face and get to know them. And they've been longtime listeners. So thank you so much. I'm glad that this show provides value. And finally, come join the newsletter. It's a great way for us to connect. A lot of times I'll, I'll write something that's top of mind that's only available on the newsletter and I send it out to you. And you can sign up for, if you're interested in coaching, my waitlist for coaching or my waitlist for the year of yes uh, program that I'm going to be offering back in 2017. I have a current group going right now in 2016. So go ahead and sign up at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.